Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bible and Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker, and if you are just joining us, my heart in this is to really help connect the Bible to life, and the reason for that is because I believe that Bible teaching ought to be blue jeans theology. That is down-to-earth, everyday stuff, helping us see how God's Word intersects with our life so we can live the kind of life God called us to. That's really my heart in this podcast. And if you haven't yet already, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast so that you could uh, never miss an episode and we could always connect here on The Bible in Life. I am recording this on May 20th, 2019. And the reason I'm telling you that is because I wanted to let you know that over the weekend, my wife and I celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary. Yep, 30 years married, and it's been quite a journey for us. We met as a couple of teenagers in Bible college. Uh, graduated together, went to grad school in Ohio, moved back to Boise, and uh, had two little kids, Todd at Boise Bible College for 19 years, pastored together. Um, man, it's been really a journey for us. It hasn't always been easy, but God has been incredibly faithful. And now we have uh, two adult kids and a son-in-law and a daughter-in-law and two grandkids, and God has been faithful to us over the last 30 years. And so we celebrated that yesterday, and I just wanted to share that with you all as well, since you guys are faithful listeners to the Bible and Life, just give you a little update on my life. And another update is that uh, I have just uh, released on my website monthly subscriptions to churches who want to use my online courses as part of their discipleship process. So if you're a pastor, elder, church leader, missionary, and you're looking for some resources to help you train and equip and disciple people or help people that are a part of your ministry train and equip and disciple, maybe people who are a little newer to the faith, I've got four core courses, Bible survey, Bible study skills, core beliefs, and the basics of spiritual growth. And for a small monthly subscription, everyone in your ministry, everyone in your church can have access to those courses as part of your discipleship process. And man, I just believe that that could really help just about any church out because it puts discipleship resources in the palm of people's hands right where they live every day on their phone, on their computer. So if you're interested in that, I will put the links to that in the notes below this episode so that you can check that out as well. All right, we've been in a little series looking at biblical passages on our hope with the goal of maybe trying to clarify exactly what our hope is as well as to fan into flame our hope because in the Bible, hope is meant to really be a key motivation for Christian living. It's one of the major drivers of uh, living for Christ in this world, being faithful to him till the end. And we've already looked at that in uh, just recent episodes, how Every passage that has to do with what's going to come in the future for us in the letters of the New Testament, every passage like that is connected in some way to Christian living, to the passage we looked at last week, to grieving in hope when loved one dies because death isn't the final end, or to living a holy life in 1 Peter chapter 3. And, and so we've, we're looking at these passages on our hope because we want our hope to be bigger and stronger and more vibrant and more real, because if that's so, then we will have more energy and more power to live the kind of life that God has called us to live. And so that's really what we've been doing over the last few episodes here on the Bible and Life. And in this episode, we are going to look at two passages out of the book of Isaiah. Um, and 
Isaiah is a little bit challenging because it's a prophetic work. It's a work of biblical prophecy, and the prophets often wrote down their thoughts in poetry, Hebrew poetry, because they were Hebrew prophets. And and sometimes that makes it really hard to understand. And so if you've ever tried to read the book of Isaiah, where we're going to look at these two passages from, or any of the other prophets, and you felt like, man, they're just difficult to understand. You're not alone. In fact, the great... Uh, church reformer, Martin Luther, even described the prophets as speaking weirdly and hard to understand. And and that's just because of the the poetic nature of their language. And so we've got to learn how to read poetry a little bit. We've got to think well about that. It also helps to know where they fit in the timeline of biblical chronology. And so if you want a little more help on that, uh, I would encourage you to maybe check out my online course on Bible survey. I'll put the link to that in the notes below as well, because what that co- course does is it tells the big story of the Bible, and then it shows how each of the books fit into that story. So it can really help you understand where, in this case, the prophets fit, or whatever book you're reading, where it fits in the story and kind of helps you get a chronological view of the Bible. So that's Bible survey. Um, it made it super reasonable, super cheap on my website, and it's only like $39 or something like that, 39 or 49 one of those two on my website. I'll put the link to it in the notes down below, and you can check that out there. So we're going to walk through these two passages from the book of Isaiah, one from Isaiah 2, one from Isaiah 9, that use picturesque language that paint a picture of one of the things that's going to be the effect of our hope, where the future is going and what God wants to do um, in this world as a result of the work of Jesus, all right? So they paint a beautiful picture of what's going to happen in the future for us. The first passage is from Isaiah chapter 2, and it says this, It shall come about in the latter days, this is looking forward to the end of time when God makes all things new and when he brings justice to the world. And so it shall come about in those days that the mountain of the house of the Lord, which refers to Jerusalem, specifically Mount Zion within Jerusalem, the kind of the centerpiece of God's presence under the Old Testament. So Isaiah was written during the Old Testament, about 700 years before Jesus. And during that time period, uh, the temple, Mount Zion, was the centerpiece, the headquarters of God's work in the world. And so it shall come about in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord, Mount Zion, shall be established as the highest of mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. Let's push pause real quick and just say that in the book of Revelation and other places in the New Testament, it lets us know that there's going to be a new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven when God makes all things new and we enter into the new creation and there's a new heavens and a new earth that we've already talked about in a couple episodes ago, that there's going to be a new Jerusalem that'll be kind of like the centerpiece of God's presence in the world. That's what this seems to be uh, pointing forward to in this picturesque language. And so the mountain of the house of the Lord here in Isaiah 2 will be raised up as the highest of mountains. It shall be established above all the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. It's going to be the centerpiece of God's presence. And many people shall come and say, Isaiah 2 verse 3, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So, 
uh, this picture is looking forward to maybe initially fulfilled with the first coming of the Messiah, but ultimately fulfilled when the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven and is planted on earth and God's presence is established in full force on earth. And here's what's going to happen ultimately when that's finally and fully fulfilled. Isaiah 2.4, this is what I really want us to pay attention to, says this, that he, God, um, shall judge between the nations. He shall decide disputes for many peoples. And here's the picture. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Um, Notice that you have swords and spears. Um, Those are implements, weapons of warfare. In their day and age, swords and spears were the two dominant weapons of warfare. So they're taking their weapons of warfare and they're beating them into plowshares and pruning hooks. What's a plowshare and a pruning hook? Well, a plowshare and a pruning hook were instruments of agriculture. So um, instruments of warfare, weapons of warfare, swords and spears, now are becoming uh, instruments or implements of agriculture. What is the picture being painted? Well, the picture that's being painted is war is done away with. There is no longer any war. There is no need for weapons anymore because war is gone. It's now a time of peace and prosperity. And so now we can enter into a time of farming and harvesting and all of that. We don't need weapons anymore. And so now they're being refabricated as instruments of Farming And the picture is summarized in the very next line of the verse. It says this, Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And so, in this picture painted in Isaiah chapter 2, part of what we can expect in the future when God makes all things new is he's going to eliminate war. Um, There's not going to be any need for war. We can picture a, a world of peace and prosperity and farming and agriculture and harmony because war is done. We don't have to worry about Uh, having, uh, you know, a a military defense. We don't have to worry about uh, military contracts. We don't have to worry about having raised up an army that's prepared for when there might be an invasion. We don't have to have swords and spears and guns and bombs and all of that is done away with. All right. Now, the second passage in Isaiah is Isaiah chapter 9. And it picks up at that same point. Now, Isaiah 9 is well known for being quoted at Christmas time because it looks forward to the coming of the Messiah, um, the, the birth of God's anointed king who's going to bring God's justice and God's rule to the world. And so Isaiah 9 has a lot of imagery that has to do with Jesus' first coming. But everything that's said in Isaiah 9 is not fulfilled by his first coming. Um, it, It will ultimately be fulfilled when he comes again and he makes all things new. And so Isaiah 9 picks up with this imagery of when Messiah comes and God fulfills his promises and Messiah works out uh, his plan and he brings God's kingdom to the world. This is what it says. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 5 says, Every warrior's boot used in battle. 
And every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Um, The picture is all, again, implements of war, things that have been affected by war, things that have been destroyed by war. It's all going to be heaped up and burning. We're done with that. We're done with that because war is no more. Whenever I read that verse, I can't help but think of the scene from The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, where Aragorn and and those with him come up on this battle scene where there had been a battle the night before. It was the battle where Merry and Pippin, the two hobbits, were kidnapped by the orcs and taken off by them. And Aragorn and his crew come up on the remnants of this battle, and there are these piles of um, shields and spears and swords and even a few dead bodies that have been piled up, and they're, they're smoldering because they've been burnt. And for whatever reason, I picture that scene, but that's not quite right, because in that scene, what you have is you have um, the victors in a battle um, burning the remnants of their enemies. But in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 5, what you have is not that. You have all war being done. The reason the burning, the things are being piled up and burned in Isaiah 9 is because war is over. War is removed, and so we don't need a warrior's boot anymore. We um, Garments that have been rolled in blood, that have been uh, marked by war, now they're burned up, and that whole scene is done. Here's the thing. Uh, if any of you um, listening to this podcast have ever been involved in war, um, even if you believe the mission was necessary and critical, You know how awful war is. You know how horrendous it is. And you know that the world would be a better place if we didn't need that, right? Like if we, if if there was no such thing as war, if all wars ceased and there was perfect peace on earth, you know that that's a good thing because you know how awful and horrible war is. And that's what's being promised in Isaiah chapter 9 and Isaiah chapter 2, that when, uh, when God's kingdom comes, when Messiah returns, when the new heavens and the new earth is birthed into this, this world, when everything is made right, one of the pictures that's painted for us is we don't have to worry about war. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to lock our front door at night because there's nothing to fear. There's nothing afraid of. We don't need that. There is complete and total peace on earth, so much so that we can get rid of all those weapons of war and we can turn them into instruments of agriculture and we can farm and we can grow and we can plant and we don't have to worry about anything being uh, marked by the devastation and destruction that war brings into this world. Why is that? How does that come about? Well, Isaiah chapter 9 Verse 6 goes on to say this, gives the reason. Why is it that war is going to be eliminated? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the passage that's often quoted at Christmas time. It's a clear promise of God's 
king, God's Messiah coming into the world, and he is going to take the government on his shoulders. He is going to rule, and he's going to do so um, with wisdom and power and justice, bringing peace to this world. And so verse 7 says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne. David was uh, the great king of Israel and sort of became the paramount, you know, like portrayal of his kingdom was promised to succeed forever and the Messiah was going to come from his line. And so Messiah is going to reign on David's throne and over David's kingdom and he will establish and uphold his kingdom with justice and with righteousness from that time on forever. And the reality is, is Messiah has come. Jesus has won. He has defeated sin, death, hell, and the devil, and he's already making all things new. He's working all things out. But the reality is, is we live in a world where all things aren't new, right? Like there's this initial fulfillment of the coming of the Messiah that we celebrate at Christmas time with the birth of the Messiah, and we celebrate it at Easter time with his resurrection, right? We have this initial fulfillment, but there's still an ultimate fulfillment yet to come. We're still looking forward to the day when every every warrior's boot that's used in battle and every garment rolled in blood is destined for burning. When uh, weapons of war are turned into instruments of agriculture, we're still looking forward to that ultimate fulfillment. We live, in other words, between the times. We live between the time of the initial fulfillment and the time of the ultimate fulfillment. And what we're looking forward to as part of our hope is the day when all things are made new. And peace reigns supreme. When the the insurgents and the enemies against God's good, wise, just, gracious rule over this world, when all those insurgents are laid to rest and there are no enemies anymore and God's kingdom has come completely and totally. And that's why Jesus taught us to pray that way. Uh, In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, uh, your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, That is praying towards our hope. That's praying towards what we, really, our hearts long to come. We, We know how awful war is. We know the devastation it wreaks on this world. We don't like it. That's why we have peace marches. That's why soldiers come back from war. And man, it takes a while for them to overcome the trauma, if they ever do. Some never. And they're always marked by that. We know the devastation of that. And so we're praying, God, would you bring your kingdom to this world? Would what you want done, your will, would your will be done here in this world just as it's done right now in heaven? And we're looking forward to that day when we live in a new earth that's green and lush and beautiful and at peace. And there's no more war to worry about. There's no more enemies. There's nothing to threaten our security and our safety because God's kingdom has come and God's will is being done completely and perfectly as God wants it to be. So my friends, that's the destiny of the world. That's the the destiny for all of us who are in Christ. We have this great promise that there's going to be a new earth 
and peace will prevail. And we look forward to that day with great anticipation and great hope. And we pray, God, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hey, thanks for joining me on this episode of The Bible and Life. I pray that we will be people who live with great hope, knowing that the world now is not what it's supposed to be. And sometimes it's hard, and sometimes it's painful, and sometimes it's difficult, but God's going to make all things new. And all that's wrong with this world will be made right. And all that's hurt will be made, and will be caught up in all that's good and beautiful. And so live, my friends, with great hope, and great joy as we anticipate that day. God bless you guys. We will see you on the next episode of The Bible in Life.